kind of taking a little break from, from John because this is a holiday that's worth taking some time for, uh, to pulling out for. And so, uh, I don't know why people do this, but, but maybe some of y'all do. There's people that actually train to run 26 point something miles called a marathon. Like some of y'all, like you want to do that and you do that and great. That's not necessarily me, but for the purposes of the illustration, I looked it up. Okay. What does it take to run a marathon? And they're like, well, you need to have this baseline for a long period of time, a baseline of miles that you run per week at like 50, 50 miles a week before you start really getting into the training to finish it and to get the 26 miles in. And so you've got to, uh, you run 50 miles a week, you run three to five times a week, and then the four months leading up, you like step yourself up to where you can, you can run that full amount. Like, okay. I'm thankful y'all can do it. It probably feels really great to do it. I'm just poking fun because I can't and, you know, I don't have the knees or the patience for it. Um, but if you want to run sprints, it's a very different training process, isn't it? Right, if you want to run sprints, you jog, you get your muscles a little warmed up, you stretch out, and then you run your length for at 70% effort, and then you run your length at 80% effort, and you run your length at 90% effort, and you run your length at 100% effort, and here you go. And yes, you can train, and yes, you can get better, but really, you could just, I mean, like I might pay for it the rest of my life, but I could get out and run a sprint, just not well. It doesn't take the same level of training. Now, yes, to do it well, I'm just talking about to finish, right? And so there's a training process for a marathon that looks very different than a training process for a sprint. And so moms, I just want to encourage you. Motherhood is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that's good news. Because if you're running a marathon and you stumble, because you will, like y'all probably woke up this morning and have already had one, right? Getting the kids ready for church is like the most sanctifying Sin pointing out experience that you can have, right? And so you stumble, but in a marathon, the stumble doesn't define you. The stumble doesn't wreck everything. If it was a sprint, it would. Those little moments of failure, those little moments of stumble, those little moments that, that um, you trip up, little moments of sin and where you don't get it right, like that would define everything, but it's not a sprint. Mothers... It's not a sprint, fathers. It's not a sprint if you invest in disciples that are coming in behind you. It's a marathon. And the other good news is this. This is something we have to keep in mind a lot. We're training our kids to run a marathon. We're training the disciples coming behind us to run a marathon, not a sprint. And so again, their little stumbles don't define them. Their sins don't define them. The story isn't finished yet. Right? And so they're in your home and they're frustrating. They're in your home and they're like me, hard-headed. And those moments feel like this is the story and this is the end of the story. And this is how it's going to always be. But you're not training them to run a sprint. You're training them to run a marathon. And so those moments aren't defined. The story isn't written. It's still a long, long way to go in the story that God's going to write over their life. And so walk beside them to train for the long-distance run of life. Train differently because you're walking beside them to run the long-distance run of life. And don't be sunk and don't be tripped up by those little moments, those little failures that do not define. Right? Just remember there is a finish line, but it's a lot further off. Right? And so we're going to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
Second uh, Timothy chapter three, ten through through seventeen. Again, we're just taking a, a break from John to kind of honor you as moms and to encourage you. But I don't want it to just be for moms because this is this is people whether you have biological children or adoptive children or whether you just take seriously a love for the next generation and you want to see them strengthen the faith and so you've adopted spiritual children into your life. Like it's for all of us. And it's a simple encouragement and a simple challenge that's been given to us. And I hope to be able to simplify this for us. What is the task? It is to give them the word. It is to plant the word in the next generation. Because this text, what it gives us is it gives us two key pillars to the endurance to run a marathon. Two key pillars for our children and our disciples and for the spiritual children that we have, the people coming behind us. Two pillars so that they will endure the entire marathon of life and the entire marathon of running after Jesus with their lives. And those two key pillars Paul gives us are this. Example. Do you know how much power you have in the example of your life to train the people coming behind you? I think if you were to, I think this would be true. Like if you were to say your words or your actions believe if they aren't matching up. And if you were to say kids believe these, your kids are going to believe your actions so much more powerfully than your words. The power of your example is a key pillar. And that's what Paul says. Like you've seen my teaching. You've seen my conduct. You've seen the goal of my life. And so Timothy, stay strong. Timothy, keep enduring. Timothy, press on because you've seen me do it when it's hard. Not that you've seen me do it perfectly. Not that you've seen me do it without failure or flaw or sin. But you've seen me live this out. Look at example. And then the other pillar is the word. Right? There's a word that is sufficient. There's a word that can save. There's a word that can change and grow you. There's a word that can make you mature. There's a word that can make you uh, equipped for everything that God has for your life. And those are the two simple tools you've been given. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have a book that he has written. And you can say, this is enough to build your life on. And then you have an example and a model that you can place before your kids. And the more God grows us for those two things to say the same thing, the more powerfully we put a foundation under our kids to endure whatever this life has to, has to bring. And, and the, the ability for those that we invest in to endure whatever this life can bring. And so let's look at it in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. In verse 10 it says, You, however, talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching... My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through a faith that is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray for moms out there 
that you would root them in your word and that they would find all your grace to be sufficient for the task. I pray you'd plant moms in the word and they'd find all the grace and all the new morning mercies they need for what's in front of them. Father, I pray for those who love the next generation and want to invest in those coming behind them spiritually or or in age, God. I pray that you would plant your word deeply in them and give them the grace to sustain them. And God, I pray we would believe this book is profitable. We would believe this book is enough for whatever the people we care about are going to face in this life. That we believe this book is enough because it points to a Savior who is worth more than anything this life has or anything this life could ever take away. And so grant us, Father, to lovingly, patiently, humbly, imperfect and saturated with grace to plant this word in the next generation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so moms and all of us, if you want to impart unshakable faith, give them the word. If you want to impart unshakable faith, give them the word. Now, I know it's tempting, right, to just look for the next thing. Like if we, if Dr. Phil could come over and fix some things, like give us some ideas, or if I could just get the right self-help book, or if I could just find the right book on parenting, like I, I can make this work out. Right? And so we're just always looking for the, for the next thing. Or we think, here's how I can do it. If I can keep them busy enough with enough activities and with enough dance and with enough balls and with enough, or with enough ball and with enough study and with enough academics, if I can just keep them busy enough, they'll stay out of trouble and they won't make any big messes and they will turn out all right. And I think we tend to do this like with disciples we're making as well. It's like, all right, come to this class, come to this activity, come to this study. And if we can just get them doing enough things, they'll turn out all right. But there's so much more to the kingdom life. And there's so much bigger dream that we should have for our kids than turning out all right. Than turning out moral and turning out ethical and turning out to be good citizens. Like there's a bigger dream for our kids. It's not less than that. It's bigger than that. And if we want a bigger dream for our kids than just a nice, stable, safe, ordinary existence, if we want a bigger kingdom dream for our kids and and for our disciples that we're making and the people we're investing, like the only way to path to that is give them the word. First step, it will give them endurance for the hardships that will come with a godly life. It will give them endurance for the hardships that come from a godly life. Our children are going to face some hard stuff. No way around it. Right? Just the fall itself brings with it all kinds of challenges and all kinds of pressures. It brings with it sickness. It brings with it kids that aren't nice. It, it brings with it peer pressures. It brings with it temptations that they might want to latch onto. And the same is true if you're investing in disciples, if you're investing in the next generation, they are going to face hard stuff. But beyond that, If your kids are going to be faithful and that's your goal, and if my kids are going to be faithful and that's my goal, and and if the people you're investing in are going to be disciples and that's your goal, they're going to face even more pressures and more hostility and more hard things because of their attachment to Jesus Christ and their love for Jesus Christ. They're going to face some hard stuff. And so what foundation are you putting under them To face the stuff that life will bring to their doorstep. 
What foundation are you putting under them to handle the pressures of the fall, the pressures of sickness, the pressures of, uh, of being isolated, the pressures of being betrayed, the pressure, pressures of being rejected? What are you putting under them? And then what foundation are you building for them to stand strong in the face of, uh, of a culture that is disapproving, in the face of if they are active, if they are not silent, if they believe differently, then they must be silenced. And, and where are you going to go to give them courage to actually love Jesus more than they love fitting in? The Word. It's the only foundation strong enough for them to continue to stand on. And the word modeled, humbly, patiently, a lot of grace involved, modeled by you. And modeled by the community that you put around your life. That will give them the endurance. And so look at it, a very simple statement. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, there's not really an optional to that, is there? All, that's everyone, right? No, no special Greek word there, like no special category. All, everyone who loves Jesus Christ, everyone who desires faithfulness to Jesus Christ, everyone who wants intimacy with Jesus Christ, everyone who is running after Jesus. That's called a Christian, by the way. They will be persecuted. They will face hostility. They will face pressure. They will face opposition. They will face the pressure to be quiet, the pressure to fit in, the pressure of rejection or the pressure of making fun of their beliefs or the pressure of being set aside and, and shamed. They will be persecuted. In some of the places where our missionaries are, it's a very different story. This, this text is absolutely true. And when they invite somebody to believe in Jesus Christ, the tagline to that is, I'm also inviting you to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you to possibly be killed for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, it is not that for us currently, but the text equally holds true. And so those who desire to live faithful, those who desire to live godly, those who desire for their lives to actually match their saviors and live in intimacy with their saviors, for their savior, will be persecuted. Now, I want you to think about this. Like, Jesus was the most compassionate God-human that ever walked the earth. He was the most generous. He was the most loving. He was the most helpful. And what did it get him? Death. Despised, rejected, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's what it got Jesus. And, and, and we're not going to do it better than him. And so if that is the model we have when we attach ourselves to him, then we should expect coming from that attachment, there is going to be hardship. Active faith is going to produce active hostility. Now, again, on the spectrum, and it's more and it's less, and it's different forms from place to place, but active faith will bring active hostility. So let me tell you how you can help your kids avoid it. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to not take it that seriously. Tell them other things are more important. And if you'll just put a little church on the end of your week, it'll be fine. So if you want them to avoid the hard stuff of loving Jesus, then tell them not to love Jesus too much. But there's a warning to that. Because you may find that that's not Christianity in the end. You may find that doesn't save them in the end. You may find that shipwrecks them.
And so tell them to love Jesus with all their heart. Tell them he's a better treasure than all the treasures they can accumulate with their degrees and with their jobs. Tell them that he is a better friend than the friends they might lose because they love him too much. Tell them that he is a better prize and a better treasure and a better satisfaction and he is worth latching onto and he's worth following and he's worth loving even if it costs you everything. I teach them that. Put that foundation under them. Then they'll be free to actually love people. Then they'll be free to actually pour their lives out for people, even when in return they get hostility from that. But go back to verse 10. That's only going to happen. It's not going to happen because you give some words out to them. And, And if you're training disciples, if you're investing in the next generation, everything I'm saying is the exact same truth, right? The only way for them to avoid the hard stuff of loving Jesus is to just be quiet and to just fit in and just be comfortable and just live a good life however you want to live it. And, you know, a little church at the end is going to be great, right? But how are we going to get them there? You, Timothy, verse 10, have followed my teaching and followed my conduct and followed my aim in life and followed my patience and followed my love and followed my steadfastness. You've seen it. And so our kids seeing in us Love G- a love for Jesus even when it costs us something. Are they seeing in us a love for Jesus, not that makes us obnoxious and runs people off, but a love for Jesus that does not compromise or, or is not denied simply because the people around us don't like it. And I want to encourage you, the only faith that saves is the faith that loves Jesus above all else or increasingly loves Jesus above all else. Don't think your kids are safe because we got them inoculated in church. Like That's not salvation. Salvation is Jesus is a treasure and Jesus is a prize and Jesus is worth everything in this life. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And look at this, culture ain't going to get better. Like I'd love to encourage you that we're going to have this great rewashing of culture. It's not going to happen. Evil men and imposters will grow from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The only progress that is going to happen is the progress towards more evil. The progress towards more imposters. The progress towards more decay. That's what's coming. Evil men and imposters will grow from bad to worse. And so you've got this group of people who are rebellious, this group of people who are unrighteous, this group of people that call good evil and evil good. Sound familiar, right? And you've got this process coming out. And the only thing they get better at, the only thing they progress in, is the ability to be more evil and more imposters. They will grow from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. I want to point out two words there because I, you know, you would think it would be so easy, like false, false teachers, but false teachers don't run up and say, look, I'm false, follow me. They're charismatic. They're winsome. You want to listen to them. They offer you a lot of good stuff. It feels really good to listen to them and it feels really good to sing their music and, and you get the tingles when you do it. But they're imposters who deceive. Right? You can't deceive people if it's not tricky, if it's not close, if it's not something that almost sounds right. And one of the things that we have absolutely lost in the church in America is anything close to the word discernment. Right? If it sounds good and it feels good, it's got to be true. If it attracts a crowd, then it's got to be right. And that's not like, let's wave the flag because big is bad and small is good. No, that's like there's true and true is good. True to Jesus is good. And there's false and false is bad. And it doesn't matter if it's big and everybody loves it or if it's small and everybody loves it or big and everybody hates it and small and everybody hates it. 
There is a true and a right that lines up to this word, that lines up to this gospel, that lines up to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And there's a false. And imposters will get worse. But imposters talk so sweetly. And they blog so nicely. And they sing so well. And their songs sell because there is zero discernment in the body of Christ to care the origins of who is declaring and who is writing and who is speaking. And so we can compromise a little more. If people love us out in the world, it must be good and right. If it works, it's got to be good and right. And it's just not. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse and they will deceive people. And they'll be deceived. Because the more they deceive others, the more increasingly they're entrenched in their own deception. Uh, I watched a movie called The American Gospel. Highly recommend it to you. Um, and it was amazing to me. Like I'm sitting there watching. I won't go into Just watching people who are in this, this prosperity movement actually falsely shamming these kind of miracles that they're selling to people. But somehow they have to believe it enough to keep doing it. And of course they get very rich. That's a good motive. But like that they, they are able to live with the deception of their own soul to actually perpetrate this on people in the name of God. They're able to actually deceive themselves that they and God are okay. So while they are deceiving others and leading them to ruin, they are also deceiving themselves and sealing the condemnation that is theirs. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you moms, challenge you, encourage you parents, challenge and encourage you church. Imposters and deceptions will run rampant. Protect. Guard. Plant the word into the lives of the people around you because only the truth gives the ability to discern error. Only the truth gives you the ability to spot an imposter. Only the truth gives you the ability to say, is this deception, even though it feels right, or is it truth? So evil men and imposters will grow from bad to worse and evil will intensify and it is our job to invest the word in our kids and our job to invest the word in our disciples to keep them from shipwreck ephesians talks about people being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine meaning ships that are headed towards destruction and headed towards the rocks because they every little doctrine that comes along and every little teacher that that kind of pulls at them and, and connects to them, pulls them closer and closer to the rocks. And they're just shifting all the time. And it's our job to give them something that doesn't shift. It'll give them endurance for hard stuff. And hard stuff comes with an active faith in Jesus. You can't stop it. But you can't answer the question for your own life and you can't answer the question for your kids' lives and your disciples' lives. Jesus is better than a comfortable life. Jesus is better than some of those pressures in, in my life going away. Jesus is better than fitting in. The second step, step, it will lead them towards salvation through your patient investment. It will lead them towards salvation through your patient investment. Verses 14 and 15. How do you define success for your kids? Right? What's the goal? Good, moral, don't make any like really bad choices, like the kind that are hard to come back from. Kind of let's just get you graduated and married without really bowing anything up. Right? That's a goal. It's, you know, I really want that. 
but there's a bigger goal, right? There's a bigger goal and a bigger dream out there. And so do I want my kids to love God with all their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbor as their self, and spend every ounce of their life for that purpose? That's the goal. Do I want them to be agents of the kingdom of God that plant the kingdom of God in hostile territory, win back some, but declare to all the goodness of God that they'll glorify him on the day of visitation? Like, that's what I want for my kids. If you have an aim, you can only have one or two, right? You can't have a bunch of aims in life. If you have an aim for them to love Jesus with all their heart and then make the most difference in the world for his name that they possibly can, or good and moral and all these other things. You can only have an aim or two, not a lot. But what you'll find is whatever your aim is for the people that you're investing in, that aim is what consumes the focus and orients your decisions and orients your your life. And so it matters what aim you choose. It matters what goal you're you're striving for in their lives. And so let me just encourage you, want more for your kids than decent, don't make any big mistakes, married American dream, right? Just want more for them. Don't want less for them, want more. How do you get there? Look at this, but as for you, there's imposters, there's evil, there's deceivers. Don't let that be you. Contrast, strong contrast, but for you, Timothy, here's what I want. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned them. So Timothy, here's what I want for your life. I want you to continue. That is, I want you to abide in. I want you to commit your life to. I want you to live out, right? And so continue. Sink your life down into this and stay there. Don't get moved off of this. What don't you get moved off of? What you've learned, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth and beauty of Jesus that saves you from death to life, that grants you an eternal life, that makes you an agent of the kingdom here. Like, grab hold of that. You've learned that from me. Right? It's, it's the one that just a, a chapter or so back from here. Right? You've heard it in the presence of many witnesses and trust into faithful men that they'll be able to teach others also. Like, give your life to making disciples. So hey, this is what you've learned from me. And you haven't just learned it. You have confidently believed it. Right? And so what you've heard from me, I taught you, and what your heart has latched onto and firmly believed in. Don't move off of it. There's going to be people that tempt you to sway off. There's going to be evil people and imposters that might deceive you to pull away from what you know. But continue in it. Live it out. Commit your life to it. And give your life for it. Knowing whom you've, knowing whom you've received it from. Do you know where this comes from in Timothy's life? Turn back to chapter 1, verse 5. Paul did not bring Timothy to faith in Christ. Timothy was not reached and made a pastor by a famous apostle evangelist. Do you know where Timothy's faith came from? Two generations of women. Because his father, to our knowledge, is a Greek unbeliever. Chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you. Where did Timothy's faith come from? Of a mother who loved God, and when he came on the scene, loved Jesus. Where did Timothy's faith come from? A mother who loved Jesus Christ and invested his truth into his life. 
You learned this from generations of faithful women. You are the third generation in your family that comes from your grandmother and your mother. Right? Commit to the things that they passed on to you. And then look at this. Moms, pay attention to this. Dads, pay attention to this. And from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. How did grandmom and mom bring Timothy into this sincere faith? They took the word. At this case, it was the Old Testament, right? That's when Timothy was a child. That would have been the word that was available, most of it. And they planted the word into his life from, from childhood. From childhood, acquainted him with the sacred writings. From childhood, opened the word with him. From childhood, pour, pointed him back to the word. From childhood, rooted him into the scriptures. And so when they became believers in Jesus and the mom became believers in Jesus, they took this word and God made this word alive in Timothy's life and it made him wise for salvation. There is a power in this book if you will give it to your kids that will call them to it. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to bring life to dead people. And so you know that your grandmother and you know that your mother gave you this word. You know that you have this faith that's a faith in the lineage of your grandmother and your mother. And from childhood, they planted this word in you and it, it will make you wise for salvation. What is your trust to bring your kids to faith? What is your trust for them to live that faith out in a wise salvation, an enlightened salvation? We call that sanctification. What is your trust? There is no shortage of books. There's no shortage of resources, and we use them. But God wrote one book. And that one book, even the Old Testament, which is what he's referencing here, and certainly the New Testament, now that it's been finished, there's a book that if you will acquaint your children with it from childhood, God can use to call them to salvation. And he can use them to call them to a life that looks more and more like Jesus. Give them the word. Give them the word. It will make them wise for salvation. It will hold when life gets hard. It will hold in the face of pressure. It will hold when they are no longer in your home. And they have to navigate life on their own. It will hold. It will hold when deception wants to grab hold of their life. It will hold when something tries to tickle their ears. It will hold when people try to pull them after them, being tossed by every wind of doctrine. It will hold. Give them the word. And if you invest in the lives of other people, I beg you, trust that this word is powerful and living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I beg you to trust that this book is enough to give them. And tools and resources are merely supplements to drive them to root this word deeply in their heart. Trust this book is enough. Trust this book is enough. And so moms, do not grow weary in doing good. Right? The Bible says you, 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 you'll reap in due time if you don't lose heart. This is the only book that God has promised. My words will not return void, but they will accomplish every purpose that I sent it out for. It's a book. It's living and active. It'll pierce their hearts, even when you can't get to their hearts. And so do not grow weary in doing good. Don't get distracted either. Like, I can have this firm confidence this book is what my kids need. But it's easy to get distracted because there's nothing, no, no shortage of things vying for your attention. There's no shortage of things clamoring for your own attention, is there? Certainly not anything uh, for your kids. Like, 
that's clamoring for their attention. And the people you disciple, their attention. And so don't get distracted and don't give up. This word, just like a seed may take a long time and you may not see anything happen, this word plants into the soil of hearts. And this word alone can grow up in their heart and produce good seed and good fruit and good harvest. Give them the word. Last step. It'll be profitable to bring them to maturity in the work that God has for them. It'll be profitable to bring them to maturity in the works that God has for them. So one of the goals that we have as parents is to equip our kids to live life well and choose well and choose wisely when they're no longer, like when we're not around anymore. I mean, like when they're out of the home and they have to make these on their own. Like we want to equip them to do that well, right? Choices that we can't make for them. Or what we also want to do is we want to take it when they've really blown it. And we want to teach them how to be restored and to be reconciled when they really, really blow it. We want to teach them how to come back and to come back well. Right? We want to teach them how to be wise and not foolish. We want to teach them how to live a positive life of righteousness, not just this moralistic, don't do anything bad life that we kind of define Christianity sometimes. Did you know there's a book that's profitable for that? I got it. I'm going to recommend it to you. If, if, if you hadn't gotten that I'm a fan of it yet, I, I'm going to recommend it to you. There's a book. And so the simplest way to pr- prepare our kids for success and for failure, to, to prepare our kids for getting off the rails and coming back, to prepare our kids for wisdom and not foolishness, give them the word. Let's look at it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All scripture is inspired is the word we use. There is not one word in this book that was not breathed out by God or one word in the original manuscripts that God uh, had written to the men through, through the hands of men that is not breathed out by God, that is not inspired by God, that is not written by God. And so did he use humans? Yes. Did he use human personality that shows up in the book? Yes. But he did that while communicating exactly the words and exactly the thoughts he wanted to communicate through the personalities of the authors. And so they have different flavors. They're not robotic. They didn't just um, directly uh, just just pin out robotic words of inspiration. God inspired them in their personality to write exactly the words he wanted to write with the flavor of the author all over it and the purpose of the author all over it. And so the exact way, like how does God navigate that? He's God, but he wrote exactly what he wanted and it is inspired and it is breathed out by God words that are in this book. Now look, I know Joel's a good writer. David Platt's a good writer. Joel's not really a good writer. I don't recommend. I'm just kidding. Realize when you didn't laugh, like you might think I'm serious. Um, I realize David Platt's a great writer. Love him. John Piper? Okay, a few of us. Great writer. John Piper is not God, and the words he writes are not God-breathed. The Holy Spirit wrote a book, and it's this one. And all these other great authors, I love them. They enrich my life. I hope they enrich your life. I recommend them. But if God... The sovereign God of the universe. If God who says this is what reality is. If God says this is what life is. If God that says this is what flourishing is. If the God who created the world wrote a book. Then that book is probably one that we should put the most weight on for our lives. 
And so God did write a book. And if God wrote a book, it's probably pretty useful. That's what Paul tells Timothy, at least. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It is useful. It is beneficial. For what purpose? It is, per, it is uh, for teaching, right? It's profitable for teaching. I'm going to use a four-letter word in church. Y'all ready? Turn off your recording devices. Doctrine, right? The word is profitable for teaching. And I know like, oh, doctrine divides. Oh, we don't know, need to know doctrine. We'll let you do that, pastor. We'll let you people that go to seminary do that. No, the word of God will teach you about God and you need to know him. Because here's the deal. What you believe will always come out in what you do. And so theology matters. If you believe the right things about God, then ultimately your life will come out looking more like God. And if you believe the wrong things about God, it will show up in how you live your life. And so it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable to say, here's who God is. Here's what God is like. Here's his beauty. Here's his majesty. Here's his glory. Here's everything. Here's what you, he's given you to know about him. And there's infinitely more to know. But what he thought was valuable for us, he's written in a book. And it's profitable to tell you, here's who God is. And here's what God is like. He breathed out a book to, dis, to tell you who he is. So that you could know him. It's also profitable, though, for reproof. It's profitable to stop you in your tracks with conviction and bring you back to himself. It is profitable to remind you that those who confess their sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. It's profitable to take your kids and be like, stop, come back. And when you can't reach the heart of your kids, the word can reach the heart of your kids. And what's its profit in their life? Stop, come back. Stop, turn around. And if you have planted in the soil of their soul the word, then the Holy Spirit has all the ammunition that he needs when, when they won't hear you to hear him. It's profitable rebuke, but it's also profitable for rebuke in your own life to bring you back. So when we get off course into sin, how do we get back? God's got a word that calls us back. That's how. It's also profitable for, for correction. And so, like there's this straight path a narrow way, the Bible calls it. I, ha- I, ha- I imagine that occasionally you get off that path, right? The word for correction is not so much you're in sin, repent and come back. It is you've gotten off course, you've taken a detour. Here's how, ba- here to- here's how to get back to the main path you're supposed to be on. And so what it does is when we've gotten off track, we've gotten off course, not fully into sin, but we've gotten off the right path, taken a bad detour. The word is profitable to say, now let's course correct. Let's get back on the straight and narrow path of Jesus loving and Jesus following. And there's a word that can do that in your kid's life. There's a word that can do that in your disciples' lives. Because you found like, I'm going to just tell them the truth. And that doesn't always work, does it? Like, I'll do that with my kids. Here's what's right. No, dad, you're just preaching again. And we just have to believe there's a word in their hearts that can call them back when when they don't want to hear our words. And it can get them back on track when they don't hear our words. And it may be our words that he uses to plant that there. Or it may be that word you've deposited since childhood. That's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. And then look at this, training in righteousness. Christianity gets a really bad rap, probably from us sometimes. It's like, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. And if you don't do this and don't do that, you're going to be good. 
You're going to be moral. You're going to be a good, upstanding Christian. There's so much more. There's so much more to the Christian life than what we do not do. There's a positive life of righteousness. And you know where you'll find it? I'll give you a hint. It's in the book. It's in the book. And so it's profitable to train you and to train your children and to train your, 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 uh, your disciples to live a positive life of righteousness, a life that they will have personal purity and personal integrity and personal godliness that attaches them in deeper intimacy to Christ that satisfies their soul more than anything else. But it's also powerful enough to train them to live the righteous life that will make the maximum difference in the lives of people around them. It'll train them how to reconcile people that are fighting. It'll train them how to reconcile with others. It will train them how to spread forgiveness. It will train them how to spread flourishing. It will train them how to spread uh, graciousness and mercy and life into a world that is harsh and merciless. It will train them how to, to, to positively plant the gospel of bringing wholeness to broken things, of restoration to disrepaired things. It will train them to do that. It will train them how to speak for the voiceless. Like that's a positive life of righteousness that we're meant to give and it will train them to open their mouths to declare the beauty and the glory of Jesus so that a dead man can live and a lost man can be saved. There's a whole big world of positive righteousness that we want our kids to live in that's so much bigger than don't and don't and don't and don't. And there's a book that'll tell them how to do it. There's a book that will point it out for them and it'll chart the course for them. Give them the word. Give them the word. A few practical things as we wrap up. Aim for others to live faithfully even when it's hard. My deepest inclination when my kids hurt is how to make it stop hurting. Is that yours too? For those that I invest in, how can I make it stop hurting? But maybe that's not what God wants us to teach them first. It may be that God wants to teach us how to walk through things that are hard. How to walk through it when it hurts and stay faithful. And to keep a desire for Jesus burning within them even when that happens. And so aim for that. Aim for showing them in your own life that Jesus is a better treasure than the treasures we accumulate And he's a better friend than the friends we can accumulate. And he's a better prize than the prizes that we live and work and strive for. Aim to show others how to live faithfully even when it's hard. Because it's going to be hard. There's going to be times it's hard. Second, model confidence in God's word. Do you model that? Like when stuff hits the fan. Do you model, let's go to the word. When times are calm and steady, do they see you going to the Word? When wisdom is needed, do they hear the Word? Do you model that my trust is here before I go to solve my problems and before I go to deal with my stress and before I go to fix things that are broken? Like, okay, what does God say about this? Do I model that my life's built on the same book that I'm recommending them to build their lives on? Your example will always shout louder than your words. Mine will too. And so, yes, I want to give them the word, do it. But I also want to try to show them that I have the same confidence. And when I fail, I go back to that same book. And I'm restored the same way I ask them to be restored. The last one, take seriously your task of discipleship. 
parents, it's not my job to disciple your kids or your youth. It's not Craig and Diana and Michael's and Blaine's job to disciple your youth. It's not Melody's job to get your kids on track or Jill's or anybody else that works in our, in the Sunday school teachers that work in our children's ministry and our youth ministry. It's your job. It's your job to acquaint your children with the sacred writings from childhood. It's your job to plant faith in them. It's your job to model faith for them. It's your job to disciple them in the truth. And we want to be great supports and great partners and great encouragement and great equippers. We want to help you. But it's yours. And we can't do it for you. And so I just want to place that burden back on you. And then let us be the best we possibly can to help you and support you. But don't let us be your confidence. You disciple your kids. You disciple those you are in ministry with. You disciple the spiritual children coming behind you. You disciple the people coming behind you in the next generation. It's a task given to you. Own it. Take it up. Love it. And then live it out. We're in a marathon, not a sprint. The end of the story is not here yet. There's still a lot more miles to run. And so start today. Give them the word. Give them your lives as an example. We pray it in Jesus' name. Father.